if you've got a Bible, we're going to start in the book of 1 Peter, and uh, we're going to look at chapter 4, just a few verses there. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll just give some, some context. What we've been talking about, this is week number 8 in a series that we've called We Are Family. I may or may not have borrowed that title from Sister Sledge, uh, but I think it's appropriate. And uh, it, it's really just a conversation about the significance, the spiritual significance of the family of faith, the church, who we are, why we do this. Uh, I, I think there, there has to be a question at some point in our lives, why church? Why do we do this? Why is this a thing? And, uh, and, and it is not something that is just a cultural tradition. This is something that Jesus entrusted to us to continue doing. So uh, we're talking about the why behind the what and the significance of that. And uh, I don't, I don't want to go into all the detail. You can listen to last week's message. But uh, we did start off last week's message with a, a bit of an understanding of what, why we do this in the sense of learning how to live out the new command that Jesus gave us. And so in the, uh, the last evening that Jesus was here on earth with his family, with his disciples, with his friends, he introduced a new command. He, he gave it a few times. Uh, he personified it, he exemplified it with his own sacrifice, but the new command uh, was to love others as he loves us, and the way that he has designed us to learn how to do that and to practice that and to develop that and to step into that being a priority for us is within the family of faith. Ephesians 4 goes into great detail about the fact that every joint supplies, we're connected, we're, we're building each other up in love, we're training each other, we're learning how to do this together. So this is a collaborative mission that God has given us that if we really prioritize becoming more proficient and loving others as Christ loves us, then we will prioritize church. Uh, if we don't prioritize learning how to live out the new command, then, then the family of faith is going to drop down the priority list. It's just a fact. And so it, it kind of, it really, this is based on the priorities of our life. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But, but life is really about our priorities. That's how we live. That's how we live out our life. That's what, what makes our life look like it looks is the priority list that we have in our hearts. So uh, it's, it's important. So the more time we spend connecting to each other, connecting to Jesus, the more we're going to love, live, and look like Jesus. And uh, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we're going to start to exemplify who and what he is. And so uh, that is natural. That, that is a fact in, in life. Uh, our kids begin to become like us. Uh, it's just a, nat- a matter of fact. I remember as a kid, uh, I always thought, man, my dad sneezes loud. It's a loud, dramatic, like my, my mom, you wouldn't even, it's like a smurf sneezing. I'm like, you Okay. Because I'm like, she's, her head's going to explode. She's holding it in. And my dad's like, it's like this whole thing. And it's very dramatic. Uh, traffic stops. And, uh, and then I, I used to think that. And then I turned about, I don't know, 40. And all of a sudden, I sneezed one day. And I was like, what was that? I, as I got older, I sneeze louder. It's something all us young men can look forward to. You're going to sneeze louder. And uh, it's just part of growing up. Um, my wife has so many gifts uh, she is a gifted human being, and uh, one of her gifts is that my wife can just fall asleep anytime, any place. Uh, we'll watch a movie, and she's out. 
She was talking to me two seconds ago, and she's gone. Uh, I can't do that. There's no falling asleep for me. I have to plan my day around trying to get to sleep. I have to work to get to sleep. And my wife can just fall asleep. It's an amazing talent and ability. And, uh, and so we'll be watching a movie or something, and uh, I'll have to play, uh, I'll have to, have to really play referee and whether or not to stop the movie, and uh, I'll have to call, okay, she's out. She's done. So I have to pause the movie, stop the movie, stop the show, and we'll resume it later because she's gone. And then I'll do that. I'll pause the movie or stop it, and she'll say, what are you doing? And I'm like, where, where have you been? And she's like, I was not sleeping. I was just resting my eyes. Resting. In some, place, in some parts of the world, they call that sleeping, but whatever. Uh, resting your eyes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I know most people watch movies with their eyes closed, head back, and drool coming out of their face. Yes, that's how we typically watch movies. What was I thinking? And, uh, and so anyway, I, I'm watching. It was a rare moment this past week where uh, our schedules aligned. We don't do this much uh, uh, together but, uh, I, you know, because of work schedule and homework and all that stuff. But Sonia, my daughter Berkeley, and I were all watching a show together. We were watching The Voice. And, uh, and so we're watching it, and uh, we're probably close to the end. And I turn around. My daughter is on the couch facing the other way, facing the back of the couch, uh, asleep. My wife is laid back, feet on the, on the coffee table, head like back unhealth, in an un- unhealthy like, go see a chiropractor distance. And uh, her head's all the way back. They are just straight up snoring. And I'm like, okay, we're done with that show. Both of them simultaneously, what are you doing? It's almost over. I was watching that. It's like, Berkeley, you're not even facing the right direction. And I was like, she is becoming just like her mother. And so that, that's hopefully what happens in our dynamic with Jesus is that we start to pick up those qualities and begin to love like him and act like him. And that's the gift of the family of faith. It's like it is the classroom where we get to learn that and develop that and become that. And, and part of the joy that we've been having through the last several weeks is walking through these little snapshots in the New Testament where that, we get to see this classroom happening where these churches like ours are learning together how to live out this new command. And, and that is exactly what's happening here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, uh, just to set the scene, uh, this is a letter. Obviously, Peter is the one, uh, someone else uh, you know, writes it down, but he is, uh, he is officiating this, uh, this letter. And uh, uh, he is sending this letter to this church, uh, these churches in Asia Minor, which is part of modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and he is talking to them about encouraging them uh, in, the, in the, the call of uh, living out the gospel and living out this new command. So uh, this is a beautiful picture of that. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 11. This is what it says. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
men. Uh, this is a beautiful picture of, of life that is consumed with learning and living out the new command. Uh, one chapter earlier, uh, Paul makes a statement, and he sort of defines uh, who he's appealing to with this letter. His, he, he defines his target audience, and he kind of uses this phrase, which I think is beautiful, whoever wants to uh, love life and see good days. Uh, if that's in, in you, if that's inside of you, anyone that wants to love life and see good days, this is, uh, this is encouragement for those types of people. In fact, I would say this is the, the, the trail, the path for that type of person to experience those amazing things. And so uh, he kicks this off with this statement, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, above everything else. Of all the priorities that there are to have, make this number one. And so in, in that statement, the, the, the word fervent, uh, it actually, one of the definitions in the original word is to stretch out, to reach out, stretch out beyond yourself, be fervent, stretch to a point where it's uncomfortable and it requires effort, but be fervent about it. And make sure that that is a priority. The Bible says clearly in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts, the only thing that really counts is this, faith expressing itself through love. 1 Corinthians 13 defines love, describes love. And uh, it it says that uh, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. And why is love greater than faith? Why is love greater than hope? Well, faith and hope are going to, there's going to be a time in our lives when faith and hope are no longer required. Faith and hope are are things that we require now, but when we go home to be with Jesus, you don't need faith anymore. You don't need hope anymore because we're there. But love will continue. Love is eternal. It is forever. It it is really, of all the, the words to use to describe who God is in a word, God is love. Love is the point. And again, love's the new command to love others as, we, as God loves us. We, we, we have this amazing opportunity to love each other, but for whatever reason, other things start creeping up the priority list, and so love starts taking a back seat. So we would oftentimes rather teach strangers a lesson than to love them. We'd rather prove a point rather than love somebody. We'd rather them be educated in the rules of humanity rather than love them. We'd rather be right than do what's right, and that is love. And so uh, this is Peter uh, making sure that we understand the number one priority is love. And then he goes on to say, here's a reason why. Here is a great reason to love each other. And he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, there is a, there's a bigger picture than just our, our, our personal uh, applying this idea, but the bigger picture is that for God so loved all of us that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but experience everlasting life. So Jesus took all of our sins upon Him. And then the Bible says that He became sin so that we could become Righteous, And so his love was what motivated him to do that. So his love covers all of our sins. 
In fact, I would say more than it even covers our sins, it removes them. As far as the east is from, from the west, we're, we're, we're now righteous because of what Christ has done once and for all. But this is talking in context about our love for each other. And, and it's really only because Christ did that for us, because he's forgiven us, we can forgive others. Now, the, the statement love covers a multitude of sins, the natural response, the natural tendency is that we want to reveal sin. We want to expose it. We want to shine a light. And I'm not talking about our own. I'm talking about others. Uh, we are proficient at pointing out other people's sin. It is a gift of ours. We are extremely uh, gifted at pointing out the shortcomings of other people. We have a very convenient blind spot when it comes to sin that happens to be our own, but, uh, but we're really good at seeing other people's sins. The, the, the fact of the matter is that we, we judge each other based on our actions, and then we judge ourselves based on our intentions. We, we, our heart was in the right place, so even though we were careless and did something boneheaded, give us a pass because I know where my heart was. But then other people could say that same thing. You're like, ah, that's, that's, that's not true. You're, you're just careless. You're just a sinner. And for whatever reason, other people's sins, they, they tend to bother us a lot, more so than our own. We have less tolerance for other people's sins. And so there's something natural in us that, that really sees it. We glare at it. We notice it. Uh, have you ever seen someone have a boogie in their nose? Never? No? Uh, please tell me if I do. I, good friends tell each other, buddy, you got something happening. Uh, or broccoli in your teeth. Um, if that's happening, if there's like a straight, like even like a nose hair, just like hanging out, just like waving it. This is gross for church. I'm sorry. Uh, it's all you see. Like, you're not even listening to the person. You're just focused on the giant boogie that is right there. And you're just like, oh, somebody needs to do something about this. Uh, that's kind of how we are with other people's sins. It's like, it's all that we can think about. Especially groupings of people. There's, there's a lot of times there's a, there's a category of people that just really get under our skin. We're like, those are the real bad guys. Uh, there's some brand of sin that just really irks all of us. And, uh, and, and it's all that we can think about as it relates to that person. And, and that's exposing. That's pointing out. That's, that's shining light on. And this is what the, the Bible says here. Love covers those things. Love actually covers those things to where it's not even what you see. You start to see something else. Love covers a multitude. That's, a, that's an interesting word. A multitude. That means a lot. Love covers a lot of sins. And what that means is it, it allows us to bypass what normally would be the brick wall that would shut us down. We bypass that and we lean in and we start to see the person. We start to see this amazing human being that God handcrafted and loved so much that he would personally die for that person. It, it starts to allow grace to take place. Uh, now, I've, I've said this for years. We all have a grace bubble. We don't necessarily realize we've got a grace bubble, but we do. Um, where certain people fit in that grace bubble, and they could kind of do no wrong. Your kids, hopefully, are in the bubble. 
hopefully, <laughs> your spouse, hopefully in the bubble. Uh, certain people, you know, they could, they could back into your car with their car, and you're like, eh, you know, stuff happens. But then uh, another person does that same thing, and you, you're like, you're, you're fit to be tied. You're like, this is, this is a big issue. There's certain people that fit within the grace bubble, and then there's certain people that don't. And maybe that's drivers while you're on the interstate. Those types of people don't fit in your grace bubble. Maybe it's people at Walmart while you're trying to get your groceries. And uh, those people are not in my grace bubble. Uh, in fact, <laughs> they are way, way outside of it. Uh, nowhere near in my grace bubble. Walmart is not in my grace bubble, to be honest with you. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I don't want to rail on Walmart. I do this every week. I'm like, okay, airing my grievances. But I, 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 I know that I realize that i got a grace bubble and certain people fit within it, certain people fit outside of it. What love does, as we live in it and are saturated by it, it begins to expand the grace bubble to where maybe, eventually, everyone that we're around starts to fit within that. Because we're all in God's grace bubble, so we might as well start looking at each other from a different perspective, that, that we are His beloved, and we love each other. And love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, this, is, this is the truth. Love is the perfect bond of unity. That's, that's the glue. So if you're ever considering how, do we, how, are you, how are we unified, how are we together in a cause, how do we get past differences? Well, it's not that we all have to start to agree on everything, because it's not going to happen. Again, how many of you guys like country music? Don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand. These, the people raising their hand, everyone look around. These people have horrible taste in music. It's okay. It's all right. How many of you guys have already started listening to Christmas music? Anyone? This is an absolute abomination before God. And the people that just raise their hand quickly because they feel ashamed... I'm not going to judge you much. Uh, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> I, it's all good. We're not going to agree. It's fine. It's okay. And I think we, we, in our brains, we get this idea that agreeing, be, being in agreement, agreeing on everything and, and having everything in common is the perfect bond of unity. That's not true. That is not true. In fact, I, I, I kind of want to preach through First Peter, Second Peter, uh, in the, maybe the next year. But uh, I, I love what's happening here because Peter is, is deeply Jewish, right? His, he is deeply Jewish. And he is so emphatic about the law of God that was given to the Jewish people. And he is writing this to Gentiles. And, uh, of course, Jesus called him to really minister to Jerusalem, the early church, be a part of the early church. You can read the book of Acts. He's a big part of that. But then he starts to venture beyond that. He starts to travel beyond that. And he feels God giving him a grace to minister to people who were completely unlike him. And he talks to them through this letter. He talks to them as if they are the sons and the daughters of Abraham. He uses the same verbiage given to the, the, the children of God, the children of Israel. He uses the same verbiage to say, you're part of the family now too. You're not Jewish, but we're all part of the family. And so his, his goal is to include them, to bring them in. And what's the perfect bond of unity in that? Love. The fact that Jesus loves each of us. 
So as we fight for commonality, and of course we just went through election last, last week and the midterms and all this stuff, it's like there's so many reasons to divide. And in a world that's bent on dividing and categorizing and being tribal, this is what brings us together as different people from different walks of life, diversity, just all kinds of different backgrounds, ages, uh, socioeconomic statuses, doesn't matter. We're all part of the family of faith because he loves us. He goes on to say, to be hospitable to one another without complaint. To, to be hospitable, it, it means to open our, our homes to each other. But not only that, it, it also means to open our lives, to open our schedules, and above everything else, to open up our hearts to other people. To live a life open to each other. To welcome people in. To be hospitable is to say, welcome to my, to my world. Welcome into my life. Uh, now, we are, for whatever reason in our culture, becoming more uh, individualistic. Uh, it's something that is continuing to happen. I think uh, one of the, the greatest, uh, or the worst, I should say, the worst ripple effects of what happened living through a pandemic was... Uh, the pandemic caused us to hunker down and a lot of those kind of private individualistic lives didn't break out of the cycle once it was over. It stayed that way. And that is not at all the way that God designed us. And so, in fact, I want to read this. Uh, we, we know this, this script. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5. And we've heard this. Uh, this is the conversation Jesus has about us being salt, being light. Uh, I want to read this in the message translation of the Bible. It is beautiful, colorful, it's so good. And uh, I just want to read this, and this is a call for all of us. This, it says this, starting in verse 14. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. Uh, if I make you light bearers, you don't think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a, on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open, uh, open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Our openness with our lives uh, causes other people to even open up to God. That is amazing. And it didn't, it didn't take you being God. It didn't take you uh, acing the course. It didn't take you uh, being perfect, uh, morally perfect, performance-wise perfect. It didn't take any of that. It just took you being you. The gift that you are to the, the family of faith, to the, to the city, to the, our community, is you. Just being open and honest. Now, a lot of people think, well, I can't really be open and honest because I've got some skeletons in the closet. I've got some, you know, there's, there's dust on my Bible. I heard someone say one time, uh, the biggest dust storm that would ever hit America is if everyone opened their Bible at the same time. Uh, probably true. But I, and I, I get that. And so uh, let's, let's be honest. We all feel inadequate. Uh, we all, I, I preach for a living, and I feel extremely inadequate to do what I do. We all feel like we... Uh, have shortcomings we don't measure up well the gift that we are to each other is not our our amazing strengths but it's our honest weaknesses 
That's what, that's what moves us. That's what compels us. Let, let, just do a little personal inventory. The people that make the biggest impact on your life, were they perfect? 100% of those people were not. We all need grace. So uh, this goes on to say, each one of us have received a special gift. Employ it in, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. To, to steward grace properly is to share it. That's what he's saying here. He's saying to, in order to steward the grace of God that's freely given to us, to be good stewards means to share that grace. It's not to just, uh, just to sit on it. It's not just for you. It's for the people around you. Uh, to steward that. We are owners of nothing and stewards of everything. There's nothing that we have that God has not given us. We own nothing. That's why when we get really kind of, we get white knuckly about everything, we're like, I can't let go of this. And uh, w- when it's time to be generous and, and help other people in the community, I can't, I can't really do that. It's like, listen, all that was given to you by God for a purpose, for a reason. You own nothing. You take nothing with you. We're owners of nothing, stewards of everything. God freely gives us his amazing grace because he loves us. To be good stewards of that grace is to share it with as many people as humanly possible. And the way that Peter puts it is that we all have a special gift in doing that, which means we all do that uniquely different. This is why one of the greatest evils in the modern day church is the demand for conformity. It is absolutely evil. It's wrong. To demand conformity is to rob us of our individual gifts. And, and I hate that. And I know that there's just a kind of a groupthink peer pressure that happens in any grouping of people. It just starts, people start dressing alike. And they start kind of wearing the same cologne. They start kind of doing their hair the same way. We, we, we start kind of looking like each other. But... The gift that we are, to, again, to the, the body of Christ is our uniqueness. God shines uniquely through each one of us. You love people differently than I love people. You serve people differently than I serve people. And, and that's not bad or wrong. It's beautiful. It's, it's your gift. And so, but our, our stewardship with that is to, uh, to share it with other people. It goes on to say this, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Now that sounds daunting, doesn't it? Anytime you talk, these are God's words. To serve people is to serve with the strength that God's given us. What that means is that at the end of the day, we are fueled by God. He is our source. He is our source of strength. He is our source of inspiration. He is our our motivation. The Bible says to let everything you do be done in love. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let everything you do be done in love. Let, Let love be the motivation behind everything that you do. Well, to, to let love be the motivation behind everything you do is to let God be the motivation behind everything that you do. So what that looks like, practically, is that we start to really, we start to think twice about what we say. 
Because if we're going to allow everything that we do to be done, by, to done in love, to, to, to let our speech be fueled by love, then maybe we hit the pause button before we just say what we think. Words cut. Words hurt. And it's hard. I know that you know, the old adage is sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt. I, I, would, I would argue that. I think words stick with you longer than physical injuries. You might heal from the, from the injured ankle, but, but those words, they can stick with you, with you a lifetime. So I, I think it's good. I, a lot of times, we, some of us, uh, I know personalities like this, they're like, yeah, the world just has to adjust to my, my, uh, my demeanor, my honesty. I'm just forthright. I, I, I say it like it is. Which is to say, I can't be bothered to filter what I say. Well, if, if the value of the other person is, is high in our hearts and our estimation, if love is the thing that's motivating us, then maybe we think twice about what we say. Maybe, maybe we, we just think about it for a little bit. Am I just being, am I being reactive? Am I just kind of uh, letting off some steam? Well, there's better ways to do that. I love Mr. Rogers, of course. I quote him all the time, but I love a song that he wrote. What do you do with the mad that you feel? You feel mad, what do you do with it? Well, you don't lay into your spouse. I'm going to let that marinate for just a second. In the back of my mind, well, they love us, they can't leave us, they can take it. That's no. I, it, it breaks my heart to know that people will treat strangers more kindly than they do their spouse. That's just not right. There, there should be an, a, a specific, special place in our hearts for our, our spouse to where we, we're, like, we're, most, we're, we're most careful with that person because that's who God brought into our life for that reason. To, to, to allow God to filter our speech is a beautiful thing. And, and if it means that we say less, I, I can give you 15 Proverbs that say that's probably a positive and not a negative. The other thing that it talks about is serving each other. Love pushes us outside of our comfort zone. Love pushes us to consider other people. Love, love pushes us to inconvenience ourselves to make sure that someone else is taken care of. Love motivates us beyond, I don't feel like it. In fact, I would say this. In the language of love, there's no such thing as I don't feel like it. That statement does not exist. Uh, in the language of love, there's only uh, who and how. Always looking for the opportunity to serve. And, and what the Bible says here is that God gives us the strength to do that. We'll always be energized by, by him in, in, in the place of loving and serving other people. The last thing I want to focus on, and we'll wrap up here, is this statement. So, so all this is so that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Uh, if you were to survey Christians in, in America, and, and you were to survey them and say, uh, what is the thing? What, what would glorify God? What can you do to glorify God? I would say that the vast majority would delve into a conversation about their own morality and their own spiritual performance. In other words, checking the religious boxes. 
And, and all that is, that, is any of that wrong per se? No, I just think it's a little short-sighted. I think it's, it's far deeper. So I want to turn your attention to one last scripture, and this is one that we've talked about the last few weeks. John 15, and uh, verses 8 through 12, and we'll wrap up with this. This, this is Jesus himself talking about what actually glorifies God. Starting in verse 8. My Father is glorified by this. How's that for a lead-in statement? My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy might be, may, uh, may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, in case you're wondering, that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is the big picture. What glorifies God? First and foremost, it is the verb that Jesus uses over and over and over here, to abide. To abide in his love is the number one thing. That, what that means is to be connected, to be in relationship with. Well, it, it does not glorify God for us to be independent agents out there disconnected from him trying to be good people. That the notion that, you know, just good people, that's all that really matters, doing nice things, it, that's called karma. And karma is part of every other world religion except for Christianity. It's what, it's what is the, it's the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. It is not about being a good person. In fact, it was about Christ being good because we can't be good people. This is a good place to say amen right there. Jesus is good because we can't be. The focus of the Christian life is not the life of the Christian. It is the life of Christ. Period. End of story. One is good. One. I'm not. He is. So being a good person on behalf of Christian enterprises is not the point. He is our goodness in the same way that He is our strength, in the same way that He is our joy, in the same way that He is our source, in the same way that He is our righteousness. Christ is everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So number one agenda. There is no access to the Father but by the way of the Son. No one gets there except for Jesus. Period. End of story. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And He is the Christian life. How do we live this thing out? In and through Christ. That is the only hope that we've got. That is the only string that's on our guitar. That's the only thing that, that's the only thing that matters. I love what the Apostle Paul, who was not the best communicator in the world, which I take solace in. It makes me happy because I'm not either. But he, Paul would say this, I didn't come trying to be Captain Speaker Pants. It's a weird thing to say. I, I did not come to be the greatest. And in fact, what was happening when he said it in the church of Corinth, the, the Corinthian church was bringing up all these celebrity pastors. 
They're like, well, I like this guy. I like this guy. I'm one of these guys. And so they're bringing up their TV preachers that they all follow and they, they subscribe to. And Paul's like, you know what? I, whatever. It doesn't matter. But he said, I didn't come in superiority of speech. I didn't come to be captain know-it-all. I didn't come to, to, to be better than anybody else. I came to proclaim one thing, Christ and Him crucified. That's it. He said, I've determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. That's it. He's basically saying, if anyone else doesn't point you to Jesus, they're dead wrong. If somebody's pointing you to themselves and saying, aspire to be like me, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm the hot stuff, then you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. He's the way. He's the truth. We are supposed to be great pointers. And so the point of this is not our goodness. It is not our togetherness. It is not our righteousness. It's not our morality. It's not that. It is our connection to the living God. And to abide in Him is to be connected to Him. Consequently, it is also to be connected to each other because you can't have one without the other. We are together in Him. He is the vine. We are the branches. And together we bear much fruit. Now, what glorifies God is to, uh, to glorify means to lift up, to exalt. The Bible says if Jesus is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. Well, what lifts Him up? Living and abiding in the vine and therefore bearing fruit. Now, this is what I want to double down on as we close. The bearing fruit process is not what you do for Him. It is what He does in and through you. We don't tag in and say, thanks for letting me hang out with you. I'm going to get busy bearing fruit. Trees, they don't labor to bear fruit. I've never once seen a tree like and or like a personal coach tree, a, a, what do you call it, a, a personal trainer tree, like, come on, do it! And here's the cliches. You didn't come to work out, you came here to outwork. All the cr- cliches that come with personal training. God bless those guys. I've never seen that. Trees bear fruit just because they are trees. God waters them, and they bear fruit. We bear fruit because we're healthy. We bear fruit because God's created us to bear fruit. All we have to do, our only requirement, the, only, the end of the bargain, the disciples say, hey Jesus, how do we work the works of God? What's our end of the bargain? Jesus says, believe. Trust me. In other words, how do I bear fruit? Trust Jesus to bear fruit. How do I live this out? Because you trust Jesus to live this out in and through you. He's done all the work and he will, He's faithful to complete that work through you. That's His promise. So all of this kind of points to this idea. How do we glorify God? We glorify God by being together in Him and allowing His amazing life to bear th- fruit in and through all of us. Fruit that remains. What that means is, again, the work is to trust, to believe, and to stay rooted and grounded in His love. To abide means to stay. To endure. Jesus says, I have I, endured the cross. I have endured uh, the, the pain. I endured the shame. So that you can endure your life. Endure your race, as He puts it.
We can endure our race because Jesus has endured everything on our behalf. To, having done all to stand, to stand. Having done all to remain, to remain. To stay rooted and grounded in His love. Connected to abide in Him as He abides in us. And we abide together. That's the beauty of what He's called us to do. And what that does is the fruit that comes from that. Which all the fruit that we're talking about. The fruits of the Spirit are different flavors and varieties of love. It's all love. The tree of life, love. So we are bearing fruit so that other people can experience unconditional love. And this is what the Bible says. They can then taste and see that He is good. And here's the cool thing. If you continue that idea, if they taste and see that He is good, what leads us to repentance? Repentance is a dramatic Christian word, but it really just simply means to turn, to change your mind. So to take your eyes off you as your source, to fix your eyes on Jesus, what leads us to repentance? The Bible says His goodness. To taste and see that He is good, and His goodness leads us to repentance. It's all experiential. People, they don't necessarily read their Bibles, they read us. They don't necessarily know Scripture. They know us. And the pressure of that, again, is not to be perfect. It is to be love. It is not to be together. It is to be love. And love shows up the brightest through the darkest times. No two humans grow closer to each other in life than when they weather a a significant tragedy or storm together. That is the closest two human beings get. To go through tough stuff. That's why a great premarital idea is to, to buy IKEA furniture and assemble it together. Then we'll see if that relationship can stand the test. <laughs> that's, that, that's what love does. It, it, it grows brightest in the darkest of times. And what he's called us to be is that love on planet Earth that people can experience. They can taste and see that He is good, and that goodness is what leads us to repentance.